Ernest, what's up? Look, in the world of personal finance management, finding the right tool is crucial. If you've been relying on Mint to keep your personal finances in check, I got a mix of news for you. Mint is closing down. But here's a silver lining. Monarch Money is stepping up as the go-to financial app and users, including myself, are making the switch with a smile. Before Monarch, juggling my finances felt like navigating a stormy sea. Other apps either lacked features or were too cumbersome. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design turned financial management from a chore into a breeze. The constant updates, well, that's the cherry on top. But what truly set it apart for me was its collaboration feature. Money matters constrain relationships, but Monarch brings peace to the table. The app's collaboration tools allowed my partner and I to seamlessly manage our finances together. We aligned on our budgets, tracked our cash flow, and even planned our future goals all in one place. Speaking of goals, be it saving for a down payment, your dream vacation, or your children's education, Monarch simplifies it all. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal hailed it as the best budgeting app. This isn't just an app. It's the next generation of personal finance management, ad-free, intuitive, and always evolving with you in mind. Now look, Monarch isn't just another app. It's the all-in-one solution. From effortlessly importing your data from Mint to customizing your dashboard to your heart's content, Monarch respects your privacy with a strict no-ads, no-data-selling policy. This is financial management as it should be, focused on you. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Mondays. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Mondays for your extended 30-day free trial. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yes, yes, yes. Happy Monday to all. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ian is in the vintage studio. Yes. I mean that that background. Can we do a widescreen just to kind of show him? Yeah, let's let's get him. There he is. Now that wall looks very reminiscent to a classic episode that took place in probably January of 2020, right before a pandemic. There was a gentleman in a suit. He brought a director's chair. Director got fired same day, and he also you also came bearing gifts. For sure, that was yes. that was the first for us. Cologne. He had some cologne. I still have that cologne. That's a fact. Hey, Appreciate if you're you, OG earner. You know that that's that's where we started. Uh, well, we actually started in my office, but that's where after the first two episodes we transitioned to to the dining room. So that's the that's very nostalgic. That'll be a a museum one of these days. Um, Big but, facts. Uh, Ian is in the nostalgic dining room um so you know it's gonna be a legendary episode yeah so um we got a lot to 
to get to get to so i'm gonna cut the intro kind of short um just very very quick i'll just say we got a dope episode tomorrow for earn your leisure with denise the broker she's in dubai and she'll be talking about real estate opportunities in dubai um which is very very interesting dubai and abu dhabi and the whole uae Mm -hmm. um so that's a dope international type of episode and also it's relevant to american investors and today uh dope episode my boy jeezy shout out to jeezy our revolt family asks over liabilities comes out today Mm -hmm. and it comes on youtube on wednesday so um dare i say another classic for sure for sure ian any announcements i wait to hear it Stock Club <laughs> call this Wednesday. Um, we had an amazing call yesterday. Uh, I want to shout out Nicole, birthday coming up, Ladoon, birthday coming up. Uh, shout out to M4, birthday coming up. Had a good time celebrating this weekend with y'all. Um, and if I've made you money, please put yes in chat. Yes, yes, sir. yes, yes. Shout out to all those birthdays. Shout out to G for finishing the marathon. Shout out to everybody that was part of that marathon. That was that was an incredible experience to be part of, man. Uh, so shout out to everybody that completed the race and uh showed determination at a different level. All right, so before we go any further, y'all know how this works, man. Do your own research. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It's very important that you do your own analysis before making an investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find on the show, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. This is a message brought to you by the good brothers at Earn Your Leisure and a good brother, Ian Dunlap, the master investor himself. Continue to do the research, share the research, and when it's great, give credit to the people you found it from. Love For sure. Love. So we got Love a special them. episode yeah. today. We got a guest, um, presidential candidate. Yes. Robert yes. F. Kennedy Jr. But before before we do that, let's let's you know talk about some some topics. So the S and P five hundred rose five point nine percent past week. Um, that is the best week since November twenty twenty two. So what do you think the S? What do you think caused the S and P to rise? And is this a sign going forward for the rest of the year and into 2024? Yeah, the number one thing that causes it to rise is that um, interest rates are rates are going to be paused. So that sent the market into a frenzy. Um, also, too, if we're going to be very honest, mutual funds, hedge funds need to bring on clients that they're wrapping up. You can't have the market in a tailspin to the downside. So um, there's a couple of things that are playing a couple of key factors. The economy overall is still weak even though no one wants to say it, but because they are guessing the interest rates are going to be hiked, which allows for growth in a lot of these sectors, like, you know, Square went up 20%. There was a bunch of companies that went up 15, 20% um, on Friday of last week. This Monday has been great thus far. Um, the number one reason, and we talked about it in Market Monday Chicago, the mm-hmm. indicator that matters the most is the yield curve and then interest rates. If interest rates are not going any higher, it allows for growth and the stock market and, and businesses worldwide. So that's the reason why. Yeah, and, and it's we started last week when, with the word unfortunate. Bad news for jobs means yep. good news for stocks. And so when we're talking about bad news, they said that only 150,000 jobs were added to the economy, which is an indicator that the economy is slowing down, right? Yes. If the economy slows down, then the Fed says, all right, it's slowed down to a point we don't have to raise rates. When rates don't get raised, we see what happens to the stock market, right? Yeah. And so they they paused it uh, for November. And now there's a probability, I think it's at 95% that they will be frozen again for December. And so that's if you look true. at two months of freezing rates, that's good for the stock market, right? In addition, we talked from a historical standpoint about the S&P and what happens to it in November. It's the best month to trade. Yes. The timing couldn't be even better, right? And so you take a couple of these factors 
in addition to the unemployment rate, again, another job indicator, that rose to 3.9%. And so more people are unemployed, better for the economy, better for stocks because money has slowed down. And then Ian, you talked about the treasury rate. And so this is interesting. The the 10-year treasury rate, uh, it ended at 4.5%, which was uh, almost three points down from 4.8% a week ago. It was the steepest drop since March. And so you take all these things into account. You talk about wages slowing down. All these things that sound like terrible for the average person actually be end up being good for the stock market. Yeah, in September, we already know it's the worst month. You're going to mm -hmm. drop normally 1%. That's a great time to buy. Um, a lot of tax rebalancing is happening in October. Mutual funds are deploying capital for the fourth quarter, usually in October, November. So it's a bunch of factors that kind of played in. But that's why I always say, like, the market is rigged to permanently stay up as much doom and gloom as there is. The indexes are going to be great. People asked me yesterday and this morning, is 2Tech2 two two Index still the way to go? Is VOO up? Is VTI up? Is the S&P up? Yes. Good. So uh, hold for the long term and you'll be good. Yeah, higher yields means it's going to be more expensive for not only you, but for companies to borrow money. Yep. So as those numbers come down, you'll, you'll see more people investing in companies and they're going to have more profits because of that. So it's just an inverse relationship. And again, it feels like to the average person it's unfortunate, and it is, but this is just how the economy works. And we're in a very interesting time too, because if you don't put the capital and deploy the capital some way, somewhere, inflation is literally going to set it on fire. So you can't sit on cash like you could maybe four or five years ago and be like, no, I'm fine. Like if you're saving, you're actually losing money. So now you have to deploy the capital to real estate, to angel, to VC or to stocks or risk losing six or seven percent on a capital that you have. And if you have a lot of money sitting, 100 grand, 200 grand, oh, man, it's burning a hole in your pocket and in your portfolio at the same time. At the same damn time. Yep. So let's <laughs> let's talk about um, crypto and stocks. Uh, Coinbase. Yes. Reported its seventh straight quarter of losses, uh, but it does seem that crypto is uh, on the uptick these on days. Mm -hmm. XRP. Um, Mike Jones report posted that XRP posted today. The Mike Jones. Yeah. Who um, is Mike Jones coming? <laughs> XRP is is uh, sharply on an uptick today. So um, at what point do you see a good buy-in opportunity for Coinbase, if possible? Yeah, it's currently at 85. I like it at 72. To me, Coinbase is a lagging uh, indicator for how crypto is doing. So, of course, Bitcoin, XRP, some cases, Ethereum, I would want to look there first. Um, but Coinbase is going to be a lagger because they have a lot of regulation issues. But if they go on a tear, it's um, going to be a great sign that crypto is going to do well. But I, I like it at like around $72. Yeah, here's, the, here's the interesting part, Ian. Like if you look at it, the context of it for year to date, it's up 128%. The stock. Yes. Right. So it's, it's one of these things when we, when we look at it from uh, we scale out a little bit. It actually is up, but they've had a negative quarter for the seventh time in a row. And there's a lot to do with okay. that. And some of the, the reasons is that the trading volume is down, yeah. right? And so if we look at when Bitcoin actually started to peak around late uh, October or maybe late September and into October, what happened around that time? The SEC decided that, yeah, hey, we might be able, there's an investigation, hey, they, we might be able to make an ETF. 
yeah. um, out, out of uh, cryptocurrency. And so you start to see the numbers start to spike. But that happens in October, which is not this quarter, the third quarter that just reported. Yeah. And so you have to start looking at things from a, a whole scale standpoint because, yeah, the next quarter you might see that. And here's the translation, right? If the trading volume is down, that means the revenue that they get from transactions is down. It's down. Dramatic. So if that happens quarter after quarter, they're not making money. Even though we're watching the stock climb because people are actually in this in the space and uh we've, we've seen the uptick there's a the negative correlation is going to be there until we start seeing people trade more this isn't like 2017 where people were on the platform and it was a craze we're yeah. starting to see people slowly come in the sec like i said that report helped it um but it, it, it's interesting like so when, when you're looking at the stock price and you're looking at the earnings reports you got to have a, a a totality look at it brokerages are never a good business to invest in long term because you really can't control the products you have too much negative exposure and also there's usually a bunch of companies that merge together like for those of you who are using td ameritrade or were using td ameritrade now you need to switch over to swap to be able to access mm -hmm. uh think or swim so i don't like the brokerage business but for me coinbase is a lagging indicator on crypto overall um yes it has had that rise over the last year but it's a far cry from that 337 340 <laughs> area it was at um at, at the craze and i told you guys if the ETF got approved. Bitcoin to go to 34,985. We've reached past that point. If I made you money, please put yes in chat. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we're going to see a rise in crypto over the next year, year and a half for sure, especially as the economy is getting worse. And this was the closest quarter that they, they've come to actually having positive revenue. I think they were like 2 million, maybe 3 million off. And so the signs are pointing to next quarter, obviously with the what we just talked about with the approval of, of the ETF pending uh there could be a change in the next quarter yeah yeah so uh, do you see any stock opportunities related to crypto obviously coinbase is a stock that you know is like you know relying on the success of cryptocurrency but like if somebody wants to invest in a stock market and tie it to some level of crypto yeah. you know boom um do you have any stocks that you think could be beneficial um only ones i'm leaning on right now directly are the cryptocurrency so i'm bitcoin xrp i'm a fan of what, what about the big what about a, a bitcoin etf or like a, ETF, a cryptocurrency etf um no here's the reason why they're they're go it's like if i try to start a football league which vince mcmahon has done three times i think my biggest competitor is the goliath that cannot be beaten with the slingshot in the rock so when blackrock finally announces their etf and mm -hmm. all the institutional money starts to flow through them it's going to be hard for the other players um even like you can say i like micro strategy um and i like michael saylor but i don't think he can defeat blackrock like the game is not fair this is we got to have some honest conversations 2023 2024 the game is not meant to be fair the purpose of capitalism is to get an edge that no one else can beat we want to talk about real generational wealth you can only have and Next year, we got to have a conversation about generational wealth being overrated. But you can only build generational wealth if a limited number of people are able to do something that you're not able to do. I don't want BlackRock and Vanguard as a, comp as a competitor. I said two years ago, I think everybody should stop screaming about what their plan is because the banks are going to come in and take it over. Here we are. It's too late. XRP is about to get into the fold. It may be tough for Ethereum. Here we are. So stocks directly? No. I would look at 
what companies in the top seven are hiring. Matter may be an ancillary or tertiary play. Um, Apple will eventually do something big in the crypto space, but as far as the ETFs, no, yeah. I wouldn't do it. So, yeah, and just to add to that, right, you said that the SEC might approve the Bitcoin ETF. Well, Coinbase is fighting <laughs> the, the SEC right now, right? They're still under under a legal fight for you know what they had the the lawsuit in June about them being a, a legal uh, securities exchange platform, and so you're battling that too on top of everything inside of the space and from competitors who are trying to now create ETFs for the space. Yeah. You don't want to fight a trend. It's a lot easier to push a boulder downhill than it is up. So before we bring on our guests, let's talk about this quickly. Um, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, has a record-breaking stockpile, a cash pile of $157 billion. Um, tremendous amount of money. They've they've sold off a, a lot of their positions in stock, and um, they are hoarding cash right now. So <laughs> what does this mean? Does this signal something in the economy, or is this mm -hmm. just regular protocol? Should people, you know, take note of this? Yes, absolutely. I love this post that you made. Number one, when you see a famed investor and a person as wealthy as Warren, have that much cash in their company, it is a sign that there are not many assets that are investable at this time. Commercial real estate, bubbles about to pop. San Francisco has a huge issue that needs to be fixed. And I don't know if San Francisco needs to declare bankruptcy, but the value of those buildings are not worth every, what everyone says they are and they have a huge homeless issue. Um, and also when the bubble does pop, you need money to deploy. Like, Things really happen in a seven to 10 year cycle. I know because we do the show weekly, sometimes we hear the news cycle. People get so concerned about missing an opportunity. You have to catch the macro opportunity, not the micro. So if I bought a billion for building for $7 billion and it's only worth three, I either have to give the keys back or go to the bank to restructure. That's all of San Fran. Shout out to everybody. I was talking to this earlier. Everybody in New Jersey and New York is running to Indiana and Chicago and Pennsylvania and Florida. Y'all driving the prices up everything, right? At some point, if we don't do a massive debt restructuring, we're going to have a collapse. And when that collapse happens, you're going to see Warren and Charlie aggressively go shop. They're going to do like Michael Jackson. I want this one. I want this one. They're, he's going to pick every asset class to buy in at the right price. And this is why I always say, when you're just buying at any price because of a hype cycle, see what Druckenmiller is doing. Paul Trudeau Jones, Warren Buffett, BlackRock, they run the world, right? If State Street, if they're not buying aggressively, it's not the time to buy. So he is getting his war chest ready for when these amazing opportunities come. And I'm doing the same thing and I cannot wait. Yeah, for sure. Always prepare for a rainy day because it's always going to rain. That's a fact. Absolutely. Um, but you can reap the harvest of it if you have seeds that you can plant into the ground. But if you're not prepared, then you're just going to get, you know, drenched. So um, I think it's important to definitely take heat when you see people like that starting to, to uh, just hoard cash. Mm -hmm. It's not done um, for it's done for a reason. It's not just done out of accidents. It's it's actually, you know, a strategic plan that's put in place. So yeah. and you know, what I would also add, especially for like Warren Buffett, look mm -hmm. at the travel tendencies. Where Where are they traveling? What parts of the world are they going to? Yep. What are the, the thriving economies inside those places that they travel? We saw him go to China. He talked about Taiwan when he was there. He talked about semis. 
they have a hoard of cash. What is the next place that they're looking for? Look at where they're traveling. Look at what the geopolitical climate is there. Look what the industries that dominate in those areas are, because he's always looking for the next thing throughout the world. And since I'm in the classic room, at some point, we got to talk about me getting an award for uh, coming up with this two tech two index. I, uh, and I'll put y'all onto this before Buffett got in it. 51% of his portfolio is an Apple. Apple is the accelerator safety marker and outperforming bonds. Like Rashad, if we sat here in, in 2020 and I'm like, listen, Apple is going to replace the bond market. You're like, you and the director, get out of here. <laughs> and, and here we chair. are. And the chair. <laughs> here we are. Oh my God. I, I never thought I would see the day. Um, but when you, and I, I was talking to Stock Club about this, the best empires are built when you are able to over deliver on result. While everyone's promising huge returns, and if you miss those marks, Apple's been a beacon of safety for 12 or 13 years now. Invest in the companies and opportunities that will provide you safety. No one's going to get you five, six, seven hundred percent just because. So if I made you money, please put yes in chat because there's not a lot of people uh, making people money out here. And I'm going to be clear on that. Okay. Let's be clear on that. So without further ado, we have our guest that I think is in the building with us. So, yes, um, yes we will bring on our esteemed guest. Okay. So we have a guest today, as we said earlier. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, first and foremost, thank you for joining us. So attorney, uh, author, activist, obviously comes from you know political royalty as far as his family, but somebody that has made his own mark in, in the world of a variety of different areas, but especially politics. And for this particular conversation, we'll be talking about his aspirations of becoming the next president, mm -hmm. presidential candidate yes. for 2024. Um, very interesting political season that we're in. <laughs> That's, variety of, that's an understatement <laughs> yeah for sure so um it's important to have this conversation and it's important to highlight candidates that um aren't always in the news all the time obviously we're talking about you know biden and trump 24 hours a day but um there are other people um that are running for president yep. and um their voices are important and need to be heard yes. for a variety of different reasons a um it's good to have balance right but then also you know it's good to highlight other people's voices because they have other um thoughts on views that are important to get out to the masses and for politicians to hear um because the public you know has a right to have more than just two choices every single year so um Yes. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. So I'll, I'll get right to it. Um, and I'll start with the most pressing issue in the world right now. Mm -hmm. um, Israel, Palestine. I would like to know your thoughts on the current situation. And I also would like to know your thoughts on if you were president right now today, um, what would be your course of action? I mean, you know, I think the the thing that I mean, there, there there's a lot going on in Israel. I think the the major preoccupations that you know all of us have right now is uh, is you know trying to end the carnage, um, particularly as it applies to innocent um, children. Half the people in Gaza are under eighteen, and Hamas. Um, you know, has a, 
policy of, of using uh, civilian shields and um, and stopping the movement of of uh, people of Gaza away from the bombing Israel. I know um, the IDF made a presentation this week to President Herzog in the Knesset, setting showing that they had sent out over six million. Uh, emails uh, or text messages to people warning them whenever they're bombing uh, they made two and a half million robocalls to families to warn them to move out of areas they intended to bomb um, and that had um, and and uh, and then distributed I think two million um, Arab language pamphlets warning people that when people try to move their shot by Hamas snipers, the, the north-south corridor has been closed. And that makes that a very, very dangerous field of operate, theater of operations for, to be a civilian. And um, the Hamas, Hamas leadership um, uh, has not built bomb shelters for the people of Gaza. They've built uh, 300 miles of tunnels to hide themselves, their families, and their fighters, uh, but not for uh, for civilians. And the other issue that I, that keeps me awake at night is the expansion into a regional war, and um, you know, that would bring in uh, Hezbollah and then Lebanon and perhaps Syria and even you know Turkey. Uh, Erdogan has made noises about and is sending the fleet uh, down into the Mediterranean, and uh, and so there's all kinds of scenarios where this, where we could sleepwalk into World War III, and so my objectives would be um, to, to make sure to you know to try to. Uh, Make sure that if there, to the extent there's an escalation, that it's a staged escalation that can be easily staged back, and um, and to keep the war from expanding. Let me. So, just a quick follow up on that. Um, so, do you think that okay, if you send emails to people and and warn them to leave, but they have no real place to go, um, and they don't leave? And you bomb like they bombed Israel bombed a refugee camp, and it's reported that 500 people died. Who I'm assuming all those people were civilians to try to get one person. That's the essentially like tr blowing up a mall because a mass shooter is hiding in a, in in a store in, inside the mall, right? Like probably not the most responsible thing to do. So, do you feel that Israel has no course to, to take a more responsible manner when dealing with civilian population? Well, first of all, I, um, you know, the Biden administration and many, many other responsible um, uh, institutions have warned against accepting any of the death um, uh, or the casualty reports from Hamas, Hamas, and this is what the Biden administration is, has historically, characteristically exaggerates its casualty reports by about 20 times. 
Um, we also don't know, you know, as with the hospital, which was originally blamed on Israel till it was proven that it was not an Israel rocket, about historically about 10% of Hamas's rockets uh, misfire and land on Gaza. So Hamas has sent out about 6,000 rockets to Israel. Um, and if you assume 10% of those have landed on Gaza, that's 600 rockets and you know that, a lot of the casualties. Uh, we don't know when you see these TikTok casualties in China, of course, is part of the um, of Hamas's uh, public relations uh, crusade. When you see these, you don't know whether the kids are are dying of um, you know from a Israeli rocket or from a Hamas misfire. Um, and and Israel, you know, has uh, Israel characteristically Colonel Kemp, who's uh, who's the world's authority on on. Um, on municipal warfare, has said that Israel takes better precautions than any nation in the world, any nation in the history of the world, to avoid civilian casualties using technologies, avoiding uh, hits, even when they know that they can kill a terrorist if there are or if there's going to be a uh, disproportionate collateral damage. Um, uh, injury rate. So I, I don't, I hesitate to believe, and then, you know, Hamas, of course, does not distinguish between the deaths of civilians and the deaths of Hamas fighters. And, you know, Israel is in there killing a lot of Hamas fighters. Uh, the, the real question that I think that you are asking is, that it gets down to is, what do you want Israel to do? You know, there, of course, in every war, when we went in to get Hitler, there were, there were civilian casualties. When we went in to get Tojo in, in Japan, when we went to get um, Osama bin Laden and Torbora, there were civilian casualties. Um, so anytime, and, and what do you want Israel to do? Israel has been, Israel gave uh, Gaza it's freedom it gave them the keys in 2005 and then hamas took over and immediately declared war on israel a war of total extermination this is in its charter that they want to kill every jew and destroy israel and that and in its charter it says it's against islamic law to even negotiate with the israelis so you have a a neighbor that has said, we are going to destroy your country. We're going to kill everybody in your country who's Jewish. And then we are, and then starts bombing you. So, so Hamas since 2006 has sent 30,000 rockets and mortars into civilian targets in Israel. You consider, and then it sends a, a force into Israel to murder civilians the most grisly, grisly way, baking a baby in an oven alive, nailing families to the walls and then burning them alive, killing 280 people, teenagers at a music concert, and you know at the worst uh, slaughter since the Holocaust. It's it's proportionately about what uh, I think 30 times what you know, 9-11 proportionate to, uh, to, um, to population. 
109 million people in Israel. It's it's 16 times uh, the Pearl Harbor attack that sent us into World War II. So do you want, you know- Well, we have, we have to, we have to just- Let me just, just, say, just, let really me just ask you this yeah. question. What would, if Cuba sent one rocket just, into, just, into well, Miami? Could, just, just in the sake of journalism, because we have to be fair. I don't know. I haven't seen, I don't know if the, you said they baked the baby in the oven, but you said that the deaths might be TikTok deaths for Palestinians. So um, if we're going to question, if we're going to question narratives, then I think we have to question it across the board. Well, um, you, you can question it. The thing is the Israeli government has shown those pictures which were taken off of body cams and and uh and gopros that were owned, that were run and who who goes to you know murder civilians wearing gopros Which, by the way that's you know um that is a very telling thing and yeah. and from phone videos that were taken by hamas fighters of them doing these things, and oh. you know they've, they've also, they, you know, they've also released the autopsy report on the baby who was cooked in the oven that shows that the um, that the one of the heating elements they couldn't fit the baby into the oven, and one of the heating elements was annealed to his body. So, and they've, you know, the, Israel collected got two hundred leading journalists and showed them all of these, you know, these videos. So, yeah, and of course, there's propaganda on both sides. But but here's the big question. If Cuba sent one missile into Miami, how how long would it take us to invade Cuba? And of course, less, less, be yeah, less, casualties. less than less than 24. Hours, but you, you you made a point of um, there's casualties in every war, but that doesn't justify it. Um, it's and, and there are article there, there are articles of war that countries should abide by. And um, there's issues. There's issues on both sides because there's no real Hamas presence in the West Bank. And um, we see very disturbing images from New York Times, respected journalists, where Israeli settlers um, taking Palestinians forcefully out of their homes. But we can move on for a different topic. We only have a limited time. And by the way, by the way, I condemn that. I don't, you know, I condemn those, and I agree that those actions by the Israeli settlers are criminal. That they're wrong. That they're um, that they're contemptible, and uh, you know, I condemn them just like I, I condemn any, you know, any any kind of war crime. So, uh, but I would say that you have a you have an organization that is hijacked. Gaza. I'm not blaming the people of Gaza, but the organization and the you know the people who run that organization, uh, Ismail Hania, the other ones are all billionaires. Uh, Ismail Hania has 3.5 billion dollars. That head of Hamas is I was on the cover of Forbes with five billion dollars. They live in Doha. They live in Ankara and Turkey and Qatar in giant palaces and, and villas, and they keep their people in total poverty. And all of the money that goes in, the, the Gazans receive more money than any people on the face of the earth from international aid organizations from Europe and the United States. And they, they spend, instead of doing spending that on building homes for people and, and building communities and of building an economy and a good life, they spend virtually 100% of that money on weapons, on building tunnels, on and on on uh, on 
waging genocide against Israel. Their, their charter requires them to wage genocide, to kill every Jew. It says in it, if you find a Jew behind a tree, the tree will shout out, Abdullah, there's a Jew behind me, come kill him. And that's in their charter that all the Jews must be extinguished. So if you're, if you're living next door to a neighbor, there's no country in the world that would allow a neighbor to bombard them with 30,000 rockets to hit civilian populations and not go in and redress that. Just a quick question. And, and because you wouldn't ask anybody else to do. Just a quick question, because I, I want to go back to the first thing you said, that, that a year from today, there's going to be a presidential election that's going to happen in our country. And so this is obviously an issue that the world is watching closely. And the fact that social media is a part of it, and like you said, it could be propaganda, but people are having their eyes on it. What's interesting is that both sides, right and left, are going to be judged on how they handle this 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 conflict. And so what's interesting, I was looking at polls recently, is that amongst people who don't favor either party, Republican or Democrat, you are kind of the leading candidate right now. And so I want to know what has attributed it to you being so accessible and somebody that people are looking to, like his message is what we're favoring right now. Well, are you are you talking about relating this to Israel? Because I don't think my popularity has. No, I'm just talking about the issue altogether. The issue altogether, right? There's, yeah, about, there's views okay, from the right yeah, and the so, left, right? And there's uh, so I, you know, we had two polls come out last week. One by by the two you know biggest polling uh, organizations, or two of the three biggest, Quinnipiac. And then the Harvard-Harris poll, which is Mark Penn's organization, they both had me at 22 points in a three-ray race with uh, with Biden and Trump, and with my favorability ratings about uh, 19%, and they oh, oh, above water with both uh, President Biden and President Trump underwater. Um, my favorability ratings were, and I'm not, I sound like I'm bragging now, but I'm not, I'm just, I'm telling you that I'm giving you some groundwork. Yeah. I don't understand it either, but my favorability ratings are, are 25 points ahead, any of them, and, and higher than anybody else that they polled, including people who aren't politicians like Elon Musk. Why is that? I've had nothing but bad publicity for, you know, at least five years. I've had tens of thousands of articles written about me and all, virtually all of them have been negative. Um, and, you know, I think people are hearing in one way or another, either through podcasts or looking at my speeches or on YouTube or whatever, are hearing a message that is not uh, vitriolic that is not polarizing that is trying to bring people together that you know what I've been trying to do from the beginning of this campaign is to look for to identify those issues that the the values that we all have in common rather than focusing on the issues that we that keep us apart I try not to criticize personally President Biden and President Trump I, I'm happy to criticize them on their politics politics mm -hmm. and on their policies, but I think people are ready to hear a message that is not polarizing. I, I think that's one of the issues. And I, you know, I, I'd love to hear what your opinion is because I don't completely understand it. You know, the other thing I, I would say is that I do a lot of long form interviews like this one. Yes. 
um, where, you know, um, which, you know, podcasts, but also like Tucker Carlson and, you know, um, Matt Hoffa and Charlemagne and, um, and you guys. And I think people like um, hearing somebody who is in these long formats where you can really kind of get a, a feel of the person and understand, you know, their, what their, um, you know, I, I see something besides these kind of one dimensional political people who have, who have answers for everything, but, um, you know, may not always be completely thoughtful. So I don't know. Um, you know, I, I'd love to hear your opinion about why you think what you think is going on. I think people are tired of being lied to. And, and that, which leads me to a question. Record $17 trillion in household debt, $12 trillion in mortgages, $1.6 trillion in auto loans. I want to ask you, what the hell happened to our country? How do we lose our way? And if elected president, what would you do to get us back on track um, to some of our glory days? Well, you know, when my, my uncle was sworn in as president in 1960, we were the richest country in the world. We owned half the wealth on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were the biggest exporter of goods. We had the biggest industrial base. Everybody in the world wanted what we had. When I traveled when I was a kid, strangers would ask me to buy my blue jeans. People wanted American transistor radios. They wanted RCA Victrolas, uh, record players. They wanted... Um, they wanted American automobiles more than anything. We were the gold standard automobile in the world. Three days before my uncle took office, President Eisenhower, the outgoing president, gave the most famous, uh, what probably is the most important speech now in retrospect in American history, where he warned Americans against the emergence of a military industrial complex that would um, that would turn us into an imperium abroad and to a, a national security state, a garrison state, a surveillance state at home. And that would bankrupt the American middle class and, and beggar them in their own country. And my uncle came into office and spent the thousand days of his presidency fighting against the military industrial complex. He said, in fact, his uh, one of his best friends, Ben Bradley, asked him what he wanted on his gravestone. And he said, what is epithet? He said, he kept the peace. He said, he said the, the, the principal job of a president of the United States is to keep the country out of war. He said that he didn't want kids in Africa who heard of the United States to be thinking of a man with a gun. He wanted them to be thinking of a Peace Corps volunteer and the Kennedy Milk Program gave nutrition to tens of millions of, of uh, malnourished children around the world of the um, of the Alliance for Progress, the USAID, which he had designed to 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 give to put America on the side of the poor around the world. And my uncle kept us out of Laos. He kept us out of um, of Berlin in 62, kept us out of Cuba in 61 and 62, kept us out of Vietnam. He never sent a combat troop to Vietnam. And one thirty days before he died, he ordered all sixteen thousand military advisors home from Vietnam, and then he was killed. Exactly thirty days later, my father ran against the war and the warfare machine in '68, won the Democratic primaries, and then was killed that night. 
Martin Luther King, who had become a peace activist, yeah. you know, he had uh, he had he had uh, he had um, disagreed with many of his followers who said, "No, stay in our lane." And he said, "No, you can't. You cannot separate what's happening in Vietnam, the violence that we're exporting, and the violence that we're bringing home. You cannot. You know, the war on poverty is being." bankrupted by the wars abroad. And he became the, the loudest voice against Vietnam. He was killed two months before my dad. And those traumas, my uncle's assassination, my father's assassination, Dr. King's assassination, the Vietnam War, 9-11 um, and COVID pushed us down that road against each one of them, a little further down that road against which Eisenhower warned us about, which is, you know, becoming a military industrial complex. And today we are living in the country that that he feared, that Eisenhower feared. We have a, you know, the, a kabuki theater of democracy, which is we have kind of the, you know, these institutions that pretend to be democracy. We all go to vote, we talk about it, but you know, there is nobody in this country that I'm talking to these days that believe that their their voices are audible in Washington. And yeah. and the capture of the agencies, you know, by industry, by the military, by the oil, by pesticide, by pharmaceutical industry, and by Wall Street finance, the capture of the Fed has inextricably shifted wealth upward to with this new oligarchy of, of billionaires that we have, and they and has created this system of widespread poverty below, where Americans today are hopeless, they're depressed, they're watching their communities disintegrate, um, they're, uh, they are, they're, they're pessimistic about their future. There's a whole generation of kids growing up oh, I, there was a poll, and I'll shut up, and I, there's a poll that came out a month ago that show that in in 2013, 85% of American kids between 18 and 34 years old said they were proud of the United States of America. The same poll last month showed that only 17%. And so sometime in the administration of the last two presidents, American youth have been completely disillusioned with our country and have become hopeless about their own futures. If, if elected, what would you do to restore the middle class and get America back to being in its glory? Because I agree with all the points that you've made, but I think a lot of people want to hear tonight. How would you fix those if you get elected? Yeah, well, number one, I'm going to unravel the empire abroad. Uh, we have 800 bases abroad and, you know, I'm going to end the forever wars. Uh, there's not been a single war since World War One that we should have been fighting. And, uh, and those wars have been more than anything else have drained our economy, have destroyed our moral authority around the world and have made us enemies. They've given rise to BRICS now, which is, you know, uh, which controls 90 percent of the oil. And, you know, uh, our traditional friends like Brazil, Saudi Arabia are now turning against the American dollar and that cataclysmic uh, impacts of that are yet to be felt in our country. Um, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll unravel the empire. I'm going to return the restore uh, sovereignty and transparency to the Fed so that it no longer is a mechanism for Wall Street shifting wealth upward. 
I'm going to end the chronic disease epidemic in this country, which is the biggest drain on our capital. We spend $4.3 trillion now on healthcare. We compare that to $1.3 trillion on, on military and national security with $4.3 trillion and, and about 93% of that is for chronic disease. When my uncle was president, it was 6%. Only 6% of Americans had chronic disease. Uh, by by 1986, 11.8%. 11 11 by 2006, 54%. And today we don't know because NIH stopped publishing those data. Uh, but we know that you know all of these diseases that suddenly appeared in 1989, autism went from one in 10,000 in my generation to one in every 34 kids in your generation. Um, uh, food allergies suddenly appeared. Yeah. Asthma became ubiquitous. My brother, I had a brother in asthma, I had 11 siblings, 70 cousins, and none of them had food allergies. Why do five of my seven kids have allergies? Why did my, my brother had asthma? He was told by a doctor, his doctor, there'll never be a cure for asthma because it's so rare, nobody will ever study it. Well, now one out of every eight black kids in America's cities has asthma. Why did that happen? It's not, you know, it's not genes. Genes don't cause epidemic. It's environmental toxins. Toxins, yeah. What are they and why aren't we being told that? Where did juvenile diabetes suddenly explode? Rheumatoid arthritis, all these exotic diseases like Crohn's disease and lupus that suddenly appeared. Eczema, you know, and all of our kids are sick, horrendously sick. We're the, we have the sickest generation of children in American history and we are the sickest country in the world. A reason, you know, we are the worst body count during COVID. We had, we had a, in our country, we had 16% of the COVID deaths. Uh, we only have 4.2% of the, of, the, the, uh, of the world population. So that's not a success story. Why are people getting awards for that? Why did that happen? Two reasons. One is total mismanagement. Number two, COVID was killing people with chronic disease. And yeah. we have the highest chronic disease burden on earth. Oh, the CDC said that the average American to die from COVID had 3.8 chronic diseases. Now, look at the countries that didn't do what we did, that don't have those chronic diseases. Look at these poor countries. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic, Fauci and Bill Gates all said, oh, we got to get the vaccines to Africa and Haiti because they're going to get wiped out because of their poverty. Well, what happened? Haiti had a 1.3% vaccination rate and it had 15 deaths per million population. We had 3,000 deaths per million population. Yeah. So we had 200 times what Haiti. Black people were dying faster than anybody. So blacks in our country, 3,000 blacks were dying per million population, but in Haiti, only 14 in, uh, or 15. In Nigeria, which had 1.4% vaccination rate, they had a death rate of one in 14, 14 per million. Again, one two hundredth of the death rate here. The average death rate in Africa was 320 per million population. That's one tenth of what we had. Somebody needs to be able to answer those questions. Why were black people in our country dying and black people everywhere else were thriving? You know, we, we need to understand that. Um, yes, for sure. We do need to understand it. Uh, what is your stance on reparations? Yes. You know, I, I understand the moral, 
uh, um, moral uh, uh, argument for reparations. I think race based reparations are uh, are uh, very very obviously unconstitutional under the you know recent um, Supreme Court uh, decision in the Harvard case. Oh, so I you know my approach to economic development in in black communities i think is more comprehensive than that and you know less i and and constitutional i i've worked for 35 years as um as on the board of directors of bedford stuyvesant restoration which is the oldest community development corporation my father started it in our country and in, in one of the poorest black neighborhoods in america and I watched what economic development could do to those neighborhoods. You know, one of the problems in black neighborhoods is that there is no equity. And, and, and we have systematically stripped equity, including men, namely home ownership from black neighborhoods. By 2030, there will be essentially zero black equity left in this country. And, uh, and that's destroying these neighborhoods. If you don't own a home, if you don't own something that you can borrow money on, you have no entree to American capitalism. You are no longer a citizen. You are now a subject. And, um, the, you know, the, the challenge is, and, and you know, the, those, those uh, communities are redlined. It was black communities. That, the entire nation, you know, collapsed our real estate collapsed in 2008 because of these balloon mortgages and these exotic instruments. Well, those companies were testing those exotic instruments for a decade earlier in black That was the testing zone. And those, you know, Bed-Stuy, when I started working there, was the reason my father chose that neighborhood is it was very poor, but it had a high incident of home ownership by black families many who have been there from the civil war and so they had the opportunity to start businesses and they were very entrepreneurial um, the, the problem is they were redlined and my father ended that and got them access to capital and the other thing, problem with with black businesses is that a lot of you know the, the, there's not the accrued um knowledge business knowledge in black communities. Like my father always said, you know, if he wanted to start a business, he'd call a friend of his from Harvard, the Harvard Business School and say, how do you solve this problem? How do you do this accounting issue? You know, how do you, how do you handle inventories? You know, wh- how do, when do you pay for the inventories, et cetera? In a black neighborhood, there is not that accrued knowledge and people can't pick up the phone and get it. So one of the things we did with Bedside is we made those mentorships um, available to them. And when we first started working in Bed-Stuy, Fulton, Fulton Street in Brooklyn, there wasn't a single open business. They were all boarded up. Today, it's a thriving community with Black-owned businesses everywhere. And you know, the other thing we need to be doing in those communities is it's a criminal, it's criminal what we're doing to schools, urban schools in this country. Kids are not getting educated. They're being warehoused in those schools and you know what i i see people t- teaching about for diversity training and you know and and you know and all of these sort of anti-racism education and enforcement etc with that you see which is all great but 
you know, that's not going to solve the problem. What solves the problem if you have a generation of kids who have self-confidence, who believe in themselves, who have access to capital, who are part of families that are building businesses, who, who own a business for, for themselves. I was called, you know, when I was a kid, there was a lot of anti-Catholic prejudice in this country, and I got called names like mackerel snatcher, et cetera, and it never bothered me. I would think, you know, it's that person's problem. They're calling me that. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my religion. And, you know, it, I I was able to feel that way. So, I, Mr. 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 Kennedy, not to cut you off, but just um, I just wanted to go because you said so. I think we did two different conversations as far as black economic empowerment. That's important. That's kind of the basis of our of our whole show. Um, but the, the question was specifically around reparations. So you said, you know, you're anti that. Um, and you said that I believe you said it's, it's unconstitutional. But um, were Japanese Americans not compensated for wh what happened to them during World War Two? Yeah, Japanese Americans were compensated. And I think if reparations were not race based, um, that, uh, for example, if you just said, no matter what race you are, if you can trace your lineage back to slavery, you, you, there, you, could, you could not do reparations for Jim Crow. You can make a very strong moral case for that, you know, um, and I grew up in a Jim Crow state, but you couldn't, you can't do race based. You could say, okay, if I trace my lineage back to slavery and my family was you know, promised uh, 40 acres and a mule, and then we got double-crossed on that, that you can, that, you know, you could conceivably bring that case and that it would be, um, uh, that would pass constitutional muster. Do I think that that case uh, politically, uh, that you can, that you could, uh, that you could, uh, push through those kind of reparations in Congress, I think it would be a very, very heavy lift. So you brought up a few issues, right? You talked about the lack of education in our community, the lack of schools, which hence talks about the lack of education. You talked about the lack of businesses in our communities. You said the issues with having no home equity. And these are all issues redlining you brought up. I want to talk about something that also plagues our communities, and that's criminal justice and mass incarceration uh, and social criminal justice reform. So I want to know what your thoughts are around that, because as we know, uh, Black, African-Americans, and Latinx community are disproportionately incarcerated more so than anybody in our country and pretty much the world, for that matter. So what are your thoughts around criminal justice reform? Well, I think the, you know, the 1986 Criminal Justice Act and then, the, you know, 1994, which incidentally were both supported by or written, um, both of them by uh, President Biden were, um, you know, probably the worst blight on the African-American community. And, you know, we had, as, as you guys know, there was 100 to 1 uh, um, in the in the 1986 act, there was a hundred to one penalty for for uh, for crack cocaine vis-a-vis -vis powder cocaine. And crack cocaine was a black jaw drug. 
They're both cocaine. They're both the same drug, but the form was more common. Crack was more common in black communities. So the penalties that were assigned to it were a hundred times. So a kid who was in a black community that got caught with some crack got a hundred times the penalty of a kid in a white community a mile away that had powder cocaine. And um, in the the years between, in the eight years after that, uh, the 86 Act, you know, with the 94 Act, well, let's say this, by 1998, the, the black population in America's prisons had doubled. And they were for mainly nonviolent crimes. It was for drug crimes. And um, and we destroyed an entire generation of black Americans. We made it in many states so they can't vote. They're disenfranchised. There was a generation of, of black children who were raised without their fathers. And, uh, you know, there was, a, 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 you know, that's, that's where rap music came from. All of these, you know, the entire culture of the black community because jailing was prison was so commonplace became it became a you know part of the part, part of the a cultural a typical cultural experience i'm i'm, I'm sorry are you saying that country no i and i what i your to answer your question i i want to get i want to stop people. yeah i just wanted to be clear what you were saying about the music itself you're saying that the music derived from the mass incarceration or because I just want to be clear. Well, so that, that's I mean, mass incarceration dictated the way people dress, the music. All I'm saying is it it was so power, such a powerful and universal experience that it put the stamp on every aspect of black culture. And it's, you know, I don't think that that's, I, I'm, I'm not saying anything. I'm certainly not saying anything against rap music. I'm just saying that it changed the, it altered the entire culture. And it's not, a, you know, it, it's not a good thing. It was not a good thing for our country. It was definitely not a good thing for the black population or for economic development or, or people being able to live in this country and fulfill their potential and fulfill their expectations. And prison's not a good place to do that. So, um, you know, that's all I was saying. And I, you know, as president, I'm going to, you know, do everything I can to make sure my father fought, you know, uh, tooth and nail for prison reform to make sure that people, when they came out of prison, that they had training, that they had, uh, that they had opportunities for education, that they had opportunities when they got out and that people weren't in prison for, you know, for crimes that, that they shouldn't be in prison for. You know, when oh. my, anyway, I mean, when my, my father died, all of the, the inmates at Sing Sing and Attica wore black armbands because of the, the commitment he'd made to better the, the, the conditions in the prisons and to give opportunities to people, you know, that they're not castaways. You know, what I want to do is start um, is invent, you know, but prisons are now the biggest industry in rural areas in our country. And I want to develop instead a, a string of farm drug rehabs and healing uh, farms in those same rural communities where people can go if they get involved with drugs, if they, um, if they're, you know, if they're uh, debilitated by depression or, um, 
uh, or dependence on on um, on psychiatric drugs that they want to get off of. There's places for them to go where they can learn to live in communities again, where they can receive job training, where they can receive um, get social skills and uh, and make sure they they can get GEDs and education or whatever. And that we have a humane way of tre treating people in this country who um, who've gone off on the wrong, you know, on the wrong tack. Uh, listen, I was a drug addict for. 14 years when I was a kid after my dad died. And, you know, if I had been in a black community, I'd probably be in prison today. Hmm. So I, you know, that's not fair and it's not a good thing for our country. And, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, it's going to be one of my priorities as president. I mean, but the, the issue is systemic, right? We, we can all agree on that. And we all know from the statistics that it hasn't been a place to rehabilitate people. But from a business standpoint, I mean, the more prisoners that are taken in, the cost for it is tremendous. So private prison specifically, what, what is the benefit of not imprisoning our population? Like, what are we going to do to combat that if you're elected? Well, let me ask you something. Besides what I said, what do you think I should be doing? What do I think you should be doing? I mean, yeah, what do you think? I mean, what, tell me what, if you were president and I, or if I'm president and I call you up on the first week and say, will you come up here and give me a plan for prison reform? What are you going to tell me to do? I, well, I, I don't think it's it's a, a singular proposal, right? I think that's something that, that we'd have to discuss amongst our people um, from a, a place that's now, educated. Now you sound like a politician. No, I'm sounding like somebody that's answering your question, right? From a standpoint that we we know the issues and we know the people that benefit from it, but every time somebody is, you know, trying to be elected for an office or a seat, they talk about policies, but none of them are ever implemented. And so I'm asking you specifically, what are the policies, right? Are there are the educational programs? Is it uh, police reform or are are we having better training? Like, what are the specific things that are going to be implemented? To combat it well you know i have a guy who's working on my campaign um uh who is uh who who served a long bit in prison and he learned to he got his ged in there he got an education and he came out um feeling like it actually had been a good a positive experience for him and so I think it's possible that when people go to, particularly when young people go to prison, uh, we give them opportunities to actually make themselves better for when they get out of prison. And, you know, I've been in prison. I served, um, I spent the summer of 2001 in maximum security federal prison in Puerto Rico. And, you know, I, in that particular prison, there were a lot of educational opportunities for people and there were other opportunities. And then there were things that were foreclosed, like I couldn't go to AA meetings when I was in that prison. There's something wrong with that. A lot of people are in prison. You want to have access to recovery. So I know I could tell you um, right now that, it, you know, if when I'm president, I'm going to make sure that federal prisons, that federal prisoners have access to 12-step programs. If somebody wants to recover, that's a perfect place to do it. 
and but you know what I'm also asking you, and I you know I I'm going to provide ed educational opportunities and make sure that you know that we do everything that we can to identify model programs around the country that are working, and then try to adopt those protocols in other prisons. And that's all I can tell you. But I, I mean, I'd love to hear because a lot of people ask me about prison reform. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I say to them, and I said this to my friend Champ, I said, what would you do with you or me? And he said, education changed my life. So that's a good idea. I want that available to everybody. But if you have an idea and I want to hear it, you know, because I don't know everything. I, I think first and foremost, that I know a lot about. You know, if we're going to be very honest, we're going to have to find a way to offset the $7.4 billion that they lose annually. So if there is cash and money related incentives to lock our people up, there has to be a way to funnel them from the current system that they're using into another, uh, which brings me to, um, you if mean you like, want to, you mean like halfway houses? No, if the, if people are running private prisons for profit, oh. we have to funnel them into another industry, which brings me to my question. Um, most of the corporations and ways that we are making money, you talked about the military industrial complex. I know on your first day in office, you want to sign an executive order to end pharmaceutical advertising. What are the new businesses that our country needs to be in for this new era? Um, I think across the landscape, inflation is running rampant. Um, cost of living is too high. Education costs are too high. We are not as innovative as we used to be. Uh, what are like the, the three or four businesses that you think we need to navigate to so we can actually build a middle class again and give people some hope in a time where there's more despair than ever? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I would say, I mean, there's big business that we need to be able to do in this country, like, um, you know, building microprocessing chips. Uh, yeah. We can't be reliant completely on Taiwan for that. Um, so much of our industry, but also our military, um, our missile systems, our guidance systems, everything is reliant on that technology. And there's only one you know, company in the world that makes those and they're in Taiwan. And that is a huge vulnerability for us. So for a lot of reasons, we need to be doing that. Um, I, I would say if you look back historically, they you know, there, there was an era that right after World War II called the Great Prosperity, which was the when the American middle class became the greatest economic engine in the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was kicked off by the GI Bill, which put Ameri Americans, an entire generation of Americans in their own homes. And, there, and that allowed, again, that allowed people to have equity so that they could take a second mortgage and they could start a business, whether it was a little business like buying a sewing machine or, you know, betting your money on a restaurant, betting your home on a, a restaurant or a retail outlet. And we need to give people, get people back in homes. We're going the opposite right way right now. You have giant corporations like Blackstone, BlackRock, um, Vanguard uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and State Street that are actually buying up single family homes in this country and driving up the cost of housing. So we've gone from $215,000 from the average cost of a house two years ago 
to 400,000 today. And those companies now own 6% of American houses. They're on their uh, trajectory to own 40 to 60% by 2030. And that is going to be terrible. We're going to go from a owner economy to a rental economy. And that yeah. is a catastrophe for our country. So one of the things I'm going to do is make it easy for people to get into homes. So if you want to, I'm going to launch a 3% mortgage, um, which will bring the average cost of home ownership down to $1,000 a month for your mortgage. And I'm going to finance that. I'm not going to increase the debt, which we cannot afford to do anymore, but I'm going to finance it by issuing treasury bills at 3% interest that are tax-free. So the market will pay for this program. And you know that if you have a rich uncle, you can get a much better price on your mortgage if he co-signs your loan. Because the bank is is deciding your interest rate based upon your uncle's fantastic credit rating rather than your lousy credit rating. So I'm going to give everybody a rich uncle, which is Uncle Sam. If you're an individual or family that wants a single family home that you're going to live in, Uncle Sam will co-sign that mortgage. If you default, then the federal government gets it. That's what they did with Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, and they now have a $100 billion surplus. Um, but it will give you a chance to get into your home, make that home affordable, give you a chance to compete against BlackRock for the cost of money. And that is going to be my my primary, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the groundwork or the launch pad for a new industrial economy. We're going to, there's 200 and uh, there's 400 empty malls in this country, and I'm going to turn those malls. Those malls are are available essentially for free in most communities. Yeah, I'm going to turn those malls into um, into construction, learning, and uh, and building uh, 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 centers where we're going to build um, prefab homes. We're going to bring in high school students, urban. Uh, young people and teach them how to do construction in there. And we're going to build small, cheap, affordable, clean housing units, environmentally um, sound housing units that are either accessory units where people can put a small rental college cottage on their property and then collect income or, um, or we can, you know, build homes for, properties. So that's one of the things I'm going to do. I, can I tell, talk to you about another program that I think will interest you? Yes. Um, I'm going to, the day that I get into office, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to waive the fee on passport cards. So passport cards now you have to pay between 60 and $120 a piece to get a federally issued photo ID. A passport card is different than your passport. The passport comes as a book, but you can get a card and that and that card you can go to Canada or Mexico or some other countries with, but it is federally issued photo ID. Now, what is that going to do? Number one, there's a lot of poor people in our country who cannot, who for whom that barrier of getting that federally issued photo ID is just too high. They're not going to do it. They have other things they need to spend their money on. It's easy to do because you can go down to any post office. There's 33,000 post offices in this country, and anybody will be able to walk to a post office and get that federally issued photo ID. 
if you don't have a federally issued photo ID, you are a second class citizen in this country. You cannot open a bank account, which means that 10% of your social security check, 10% of your paycheck goes to the check cashing firms. You can't check into a hotel. You can't get on an airplane. You can't visit your kids at school. So I'm gonna make sure that poor people in this country have access, easy, easy access to federal ID. What else will it do? It will allow us now to require photo ID at the voting booth. And both um, Andrew Young, uh, uh, Al Sharpton and other civil rights leaders have, have said, the reason that Democrats don't like photo ID requirements in the voting booth is because a lot of the Democratic constituencies don't have driver's license. If you're urban black, you oftentimes don't have a driver's license because you don't have a car. If you're elderly in this country, many of them don't have driver's license. Students often don't have driver's license. Those are the principal Democratic constituencies. So when a Democrat hears that you're going to demand an ID at the voting booth, he looks at that and says, oh, that's a way of disenfranchising my voters. Uh, we have Al Sharpton, Reverend Sharpton, uh, uh, Andy Young, and other civil rights leaders have said, if I do this, they are going to waive their objection to requiring um, voting on ID at the voting booth. And it will that will get rid of the Republican anxieties that there's a lot of voter fraud going on. And we'll get rid of the Democratic anxieties that their constituents are going to be disenfranchised. It'll do something else as well. It will stop the influx of immigrants at the border. When I went down to the border, I interviewed about 300 people coming across. Only two of them said they had asylum claims. The rest said, I'm here for a job. Well, what happens when they cross that border? They're given a plane ticket to any destination in this country that they want to go to. And mm -hmm. the taxpayer pays for that if they don't have the money. Oh, 110,000 are now in New York. And they're given also a... a, a date at the asylum court that's seven years in the future. So now they're sitting in our country for seven years. They cannot legally work. And they're laying on the sidewalk or they're camped on the sporting fields that our kids can no longer use in New York City. And they, they can't legally get a job. So predatory employers and unscrupulous employers hire them at $6, $8, $10, $12 an hour and it's enough for them to feed themselves, but it doesn't get them off the sidewalk. And the construction firms in New York, typically, you know, it's illegal, of course, for a construction firm to hire you if you're not a U.S. citizen. But all they need to do is check a box and say, I checked his Social Security card. Well, Social Security card has no photo on it. And it's easily, it's, it, it's easily fabricated. And they're commonly passed from person to person, you know, even on the same job site, they use the same social security cards so the employer can cross it off and then he pays them in cash. They don't pay cat taxes and that employer is bidding the same jobs against union shops, but he's paying one fifth of what the union shop has to pay. So it's just, it's hurting all of us and it's hurting quality of life among the poor in this country. So what I'm going to do is issue these IDs on day one and say, if you can't afford it, you can get it for free. 
and um, and that will solve a lot, all of these. It will stop. It will stop the influx of the border. Because the word will immediately go out that you cannot work in the United States of America unless you have a photo, a government-issued photo ID, and you can't get it unless you're a citizen. You know, the, I, my father worked very, very closely with Cesar Chavez, and who was responsible for my father getting elected in California the last day of his life. And for the over the past, the last two decades of Cesar Chavez's life, I worked very closely with him on pesticide issues. Pesticides disproportionately arm uh, Hispanic farm workers. So I worked with him on those issues, but he had two big issues that he was working on at that time. And one was pesticides. The other issue was closing the border because he understood that that influx of people coming across the border was crushing the social safety system in this country that his workers relied on when they were out of work. And they it was negatively impacting the leverage that he had to demand good wages and good conditions for legally, legal American citizens that he was representing in contract negotiations. Oh, there's a lot of liberals out there who, say, who think we're doing, you know, a great humanitarian service by letting all these immigrants in. It's not. All of the only people that are getting helped are the Mexican drug cartels who are now running U.S. border policy. Well, Mr. Kennedy, thank you for your time. Thank Appreciate you so much. It. Yeah, thank you for joining um, us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Of course. Well. Appreciate you. All right. Okay. Spirit of discussion. Let, let us know what you think in the comments. Troy Rashad, what do you think? Afterthoughts? Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, it's always good to um to hear um different points of views on a variety of different issues. Mm -hmm. Um and you know. We're a centrist. Yeah. I try to be a centrist. That's a good word. And let the public um, make their own educated yeah. decision on, on things. I, I think giving perspective to a person or a candidate is important. Um, people can see you know, where they stand on a multitude of issues, and you could choose to agree or not agree with them. Uh, but ultimately, you can vote or not vote for them. Um, so it's important to, to have different wavelengths of thought. Uh, across the platform. So that was interesting. I'm just here to ask the questions. That's it. <laughs> I, I will say I, I find it, and I appreciate his candor, that a morally reparation should be given, but the, it's pretty much been voted out as a possibility because it would bankrupt the world. If you want to apply interest, uh, the available capital is not even there to, to give us reparations. So... Um, more work to do more yep. more work but quick quiz question put in chat if adjusted for inflation how much would be owed to us if, if reparations were paid out true yeah 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 i mean i, I think it's important and again that that point that statistic uh, the poll that just came out um where if you're not a republican and you're not a democrat who was the most favorable candidate and he's leading that right now absolutely uh overwhelmingly do you so, think do you think he'll be leading it after tonight um i'd be interested to see what the feedback will be i'm uh, i'm 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 a trusted voice in journalism that's it i just want to be a trusted. no say it again 
I'm, I'm a trusted voice in journalism. We, we. I would uh, all, of us <laughs> all of us here. Well, I don't know. Everybody, everybody doesn't want to. Some people, can we? Why do? Where is he going? Yeah. There he is. Get him back in here. Every, every some people, <laughs> some people might not. You know, you don't have to be a, a journalist because a lot of responsibility comes with being a journalist. Well, this Absolutely. is something that even we we sat down maybe three years ago, and at that point, I don't even know if we were looking at ourselves as journalists, but as somebody peeled back the layers and said, "No, this is exactly what you guys are for our community." It was like, yeah. Yeah, we technically we don't have a degree in journalism, but we do provide information to a large population of people and become have become a source for them. So, yeah, no, but you can still provide info. What I'm just saying is that there's certain level of journalistic integrity that you don't have to follow. Like you could be very opinionated. You can endorse people. You can do different things. And that's fine. And I can't speak for anybody else, even on this show. But I particularly would like to hold myself to the highest level of journalistic integrity. And um, stay above the fray. So my own personal views on a variety of different aspects are not relevant. And I would I would uh, digress and not even go into it because I think that there's too much opinionated journalism. And it, it tampers um, people's opinions and their thoughts. So I like to stay away from that. I want to just ask the questions, let the people respond to the questions. Mm-hmm. And um, let the public make their decision. That's what voting's all about. Give the yeah, information. Book on Fauci as well. You decide. Yeah. And you yeah. Decide. But you guys put in comments what you think. For sure. Yes. Entertaining. What do you think? Um, <laughs> Media training one hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said, like some of these questions. There, yeah, it could be a Rashad or Troy issue or answer. But it's bigger than Rashad and Troy. There's a community of people who are directly affected and impacted by some of these topics. Yeah. And they have some concerns. Yeah. What's your greatest concern? In America? Like American yeah. politics? Yes. My greatest concern. New show coming through. <laughs> I think we should save that opinion. Well played. See? <laughs> I think we should. That's a great uh, question. Dream Team Barcelona right now. Yeah, per- perhaps I could bring you back to ask that question at a yeah. later date. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's go into this. Let's go into another um big issue of the day, shall we? Um Tyson chicken, Tyson Foods. Mm-hmm. So put a post on Instagram, got a lot of feedback. So Tyson uh recalled 30,000 pounds of chicken nuggets. Um, because uh, there were metal pieces mm-hmm. detected in some of the, in some of the products, and some people actually even they cut their their mouth on it. It was that sharp, mm-hmm. um, and that affects shipments into nine states, including Alabama and California. And uh, you know the great thing about this, this isn't the first time that Tyson has had um, no uh, issue. Yeah. They actually had seven recalls since 2014. Uh, but what's even more interesting is that uh, they're actually on pace to increase their revenue. They're already the the top um, poultry provider by revenue, and their revenue was actually on pace to increase for a variety of different factors. There is a decline in consumption in beef and pork Mm -hmm. because of um, food prices. And also Tyson has a stronghold, let's just say that, let's use that word, a stronghold on the poultry market, which leaves limited choices. Yes. They provide food to schools. Yep. 
hospitals, military bases, you name it. They're all over the place. Um, and uh, this is something that's extremely important because food is an essential part of life. And it's one of the biggest businesses in the world and definitely in America. And um, but it's a controversial business. It's controversial when it comes to, um, you know, you look at the FDA. It's often looked at as a contract of interest where um, food companies can effectively lobby mm -hmm. the FDA. So it's like kind of bribing the cops in a sense. Um, and uh, the the stronghold on the food industry has only got stronger for all major food companies. Billions of dollars every single year, limited resources. And one of the things that um, RFK Jr. said was um, as far as the health epidemic, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, rising rates of cancer, rising rates of obesity, rising rates of diabetes, rising rates of everything. Right. And there is also a direct correlation a lot of times to illness and food consumption. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, this is a very interesting, complicated topic. I mean, the headline is crazy as far as, you know, the chicken and metal. But um, I think that it's actually even more um, to the story in a business sense when it comes to, uh, you know, the business of food. And it's a publicly stated, it's a publicly traded stock also. Shellacked for the so, last few months, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, what's, what's, what's your thoughts on on? this whole Tyson food recall situation. Um, I'm not surprised and it's going to continue to happen. Um, I've talked about it on here before, but that poison index of pharma, food, alcohol, um, it's going to be one of the most dominant forces in the stock market. So as you mass produce things, you're going to have these instances where the quality is not the greatest. So, I mean, I've always said it, but every time I go to Mexico, pe people always ask why. Not only like for the piece that I feel there, but the food quality is better. Air quality is better. Um, I know he had a battle with Roundup and glyphosate when he ran um, and cleaned up some, some of Hudson and the waterways when he was um, back in commercial fishermen back in the day. We've been poisoning our water, airways, television, social food system. It's just the way that the country's always done business. Um, do I like the stock? No, it is getting back to 2015 levels. I don't know if it'll go back to those 2008 levels, back to 26 bucks. If so, that would be the only place that I would touch it. But anytime you mass manufacture food, the outcome usually is not for the benefit. And at some point, we have to have a talk about striking all restaurants and all major food manufacturers and get back to um, cooking at home. Like, Because if we don't take a stance, this is going to continue to happen. Yeah. And guess what? Check the back of your boxes and your pasta too to make sure they ain't put the crickets in your spaghetti yet. It's been happening. Go look. So now that <laughs> they, they want you on the uh, Timon and Pumbaa bug play in your spaghetti. Listen, you can go to STK on your little $500 date. Make sure they're not putting cricket meal inside of your spaghetti. This is, if we're going to be honest, this has always happened. The quality uh -huh. of everything in this country has went down. It sounds like you. It's a joke, but it's not a joke. Like I'm at looking all. at Arco right here. Tyson Foods, one of the biggest meat producers, is investing in insect protein to put inside its livestock. Like this is real. Like yeah. we're talking about restaurants, but even more alarming is that this is what our kids are eating for school lunch. Yes. Think about that, right? This isn't just like the Tyson chicken, like fingers. These are the fun nuggets. You know, the ones that they shape like dinosaurs, and the, like when they kids are. have school lunch, 
Yeah. There's nuggets on the menu at least twice a week. In fact, yeah. if you don't eat pizza, it's on there every day as an alternative. But this is what our kids are eating. Yeah. And so, when, I mean, he did bring up a good point when he's talking about diabetes. He's talking about asthma, but even autism. Yeah. All these things have peaked in the past 20 years. 20 or 30 years. Levels we've never seen. Right? And so Rifle State had a lot to do with it. And you brought up the statistic too, where poultry has now has become the number one meat of, of choice from Americans. I was looking at the graph, like since 1940, it was like a it was a thing that was a delicatessen. It was like you got yeah. you had that occasionally, right? At, the, at that time, I think in the 40s when they were they started tracking the statistic, pork was the number one meat of choice from Americans. Yeah, and then it was beef and chicken, and I think lamb and then chicken, and now that's completely been upheld now chicken is number one you can see the, the downtick in, in pork but beef is, is highly consumed as well yeah but at this point how can we produce this amount of poultry at this level right i don't it's tough to call it food i don't know if we can call it can we call it that it, it, that's why they call it a food product product okay it's a food product and also how that many chickens man when you consume less that's true come on rashad talk to me you never had tyson I had Tyson before, okay. for sure. Yeah, but, I remember when it dropped. Like we, we had it. Yeah, I mean it's one of these things, right? Once you start digging down these these rabbit holes, you know, you end up on Billy Carson level as far as because it's, it's just it's never ending. You know, even if you look at vegetables and and it's like you know, yep. watermelons with no seeds and all of these vegetables that aren't you know that don't look how they're supposed to look and they have all these different chemicals that's putting them and it's just like you know it's pretty scary um, because it's like you know. Soil isn't as good as it used to be. And to be true, like I know Cat Williams has the joke, but it's like, where are all the oxtails coming from? Yeah, no, that's, the country. that's a fact. And one of the things that he said that was actually, you know, true as far as, you know, I think the Bronx has the highest rate of asthma in, in the country. And, um, you know, that's air quality. So it's like mm -hmm. sometimes you just, you, you just, even the air that you're breathing um, mm -hmm. is polluted. So in business, we always try to make a profit, but it's extremely important to keep ethics at the forefront and yep. to be mindful um because everything is a business um i've just watched this whole documentary about water and that's an amazing business where they literally mm -hmm. took a free resource and <laughs> marked it up a hundred times <laughs> and made people convinced that they have to drink it and it's actually pretty amazing and even purified water is actually tap water with some chemicals and putting it yeah sprinkle sprinkle yeah, <laughs> sprinkle me, man. So, so <laughs> you have been purified. It's, it's 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 pretty crazy, man. But um, you know, I just think it's interesting, you know, especially when you look at, I don't know, I, I feel like you know when you look at these food um stocks, yeah, right, like the stock market, it'll be interesting to see the future of, you know, McDonald's and and different things that I think is becoming more and more unpopular for people to um eat these type of um foods yeah but people still eat them so what can you say what what be can careful. you say what can you can't say? trust you yeah be careful be mindful. Yeah, be, be, but from the, the farmer side right if i give you the poison and i'm in an agreement with the treatment it goes it goes back to the the, the standpoint of there's a business implications behind it right like if i can give the poison to the population and i have perhaps dealings with the people who actually can treat, not cure, but treat, what's the incentive to not do it? I mean, and for most farmers, their soil have been, been destroyed and 
I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but for those you know, no, like most soils have been ruined by two or three companies. So even farming is a mass manufacturing thing. Um, I think we've gotten too greedy. And it's when, it's when Ray Dalio put out that book, for him to say it, and also the timing of his retirement, I don't take lightly. We have to be mindful. My grandmother used to tell me this in the 90s. Like, we've been sold our roads. And like Chicago, Toll Road was sold in 96 or 98. Most of the streets in Chicago are not being sold up. While that pension is run dry, I keep bringing this up and I'm not going to stop till we get answers. But I think um, I wanted to ask him about bricks and but I'm wondering, have we got past the point where things have gone too far for us to be able to recover? But everyone, please be mindful. Take care of your health. Um, spend more time with your family. Make sure you get your food from credible sources. Uh, it's a scary season. Yes, I want to talk about the U.S. Treasury, uh, but before I do, as my responsibility to upstanding, upholding the highest standards of journalism, yes. I do have to. I do have to say that I, I, do, I do think that a few things he said was extremely irresponsible. One thing about the um, he said something paraphrasing as far as like TikTok deaths for babies. Um, I, I think that's extremely insensitive um, to say. I don't know how you fake. A video of a baby dying. I don't know how you fake that. I don't have that. I don't know how you fake that, and 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 I don't know. I'm not sure how this. How I don't know how. So, but that's a bigger issue, bigger than him, of um, skepticism for from outside sources that you don't agree with. And this is what politicians do all the time, where they play favorites of if. I agree with you, then anything you show me is going to be 100% true. If I don't agree with you, then anything you show me is never going to be believable. This is what black people have been going through for 600 years. <laughs> like literally the George Floyd, like the, the guy has his knee on his neck and it's like, well, technically that's a restraint. That's not really, that video is not, is not truly no. showing the, the full story. Yeah, we yeah. don't know if he had drugs in his system. Oh, he had asthma. We don't, the, the other side of the video was never shown. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is, this has been done historically. Um, so I think when you see that, um, it does, it does, um, remind people of historical, um, situations when other people have had pure evidence and been questioned. And um, that's a more systemic racism problem um, that has to be addressed at some point. But I think that the comments are pretty disturbing um, to ignore because life is important on all, on all aspects. Every life is important. Everybody. No, no, no one life is more important than somebody else's life. So um, we have to always keep that in mind that um life is important and this 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 whole war is something that uh, he said something else that was um poignant he was like well america when we went to war we killed a lot of people yeah well that's not right though and i think that that's at some point in time we have to question that's humanity where it's like okay J J japan bombed pearl harbor and um we dropped atomic bombs two atomic bombs and killed hundreds of thousands of innocent people yeah now people say well they shouldn't have bought well that Two wrongs don't make a right. 
and an eye for eye leaves everybody blind. And some people say that even that was a false flag. So I think that, um, you know, at some point in time, we have to rise to the level of a higher level of humanity where we're in 2023 and we're still doing things from the dark ages and still responding in hand in hand combat. We should be more evolved as people. We should be more civilized as a human race. Um, but unfortunately, we're not. And we have to have these ongoing wars and conflicts. And nobody really ever wins a war. Because even if you win, the loser is always going to remember that they lost. Yeah. Seed and breed more, more hatred. So, um, and, and to the prison reform thing, if I can comment on it to give a, a clear answer, since we have money available to aid other countries, why would not just give those who own those private prisons of $7 billion a year and let everyone go for free? Way cheaper than the conflicts that we're having while we're paying for them as citizens and eroding the safety of our country at the same time like i don't think people realize like all of these conflicts there's a reason what like you said people don't forget there's a reason why BRICS. i got a list of 20 more countries that looking to join BRICS in 2024 at what point is the tipping point where there's too many countries to ignore this well that, that's part of it right like if you could come up with that answer if, if we could come up with that answer they probably know that answer right but they're neglecting that answer oh yeah it's not beneficial. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, at one point we definitely have to talk about the Congo. Um, Absolutely. If we, could bring, if we could bring an expert in because in, that does tie into a, um economic aspect as well. Um, it's actually the richest country in the world when it comes to minerals. 1,000%. And a lot of the um, minerals that's actually in the Congo are using to build iPhones, along with a variety of other different things. Um, so that conflict that they have over there, um, which is another extremely disturbing situation, is um, economic-based, really, at its core. Um, yes. And Congo has been deeply uh, taken advantage of from uh, colonial American and European powers, um, like every other country in the world has, uh, for as long as Europeans found Africa. Um but it's an interesting story when it comes to the effects of global colonialism and greedy capitalism um, and how it leads to murder yeah. and dysfunction and um, infighting and political corruption. Um, it's very interesting. All right. Switching gears. Um, the U.S. I Treasury. <laughs> I appreciate the outstanding journalism. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I do. I'm, I'm, I might start wearing a suit. I'm thinking about it. Perhaps. I'm thinking Time about to bring it. it back. Perhaps. Thinking about it. Thinking about hey, it. Come on. Every week we get back to it. Thinking about it. Um, okay. So the U.S. Treasury to borrow $776 billion in the last three months of this year. Right. Mm -hmm. That announcement comes 10 days after the government said that the fiscal 2023 budget deficit would be around 1.7 trillion. Mm -hmm. So what a what do we make of this and what impact will this have on the stock market or overall economy? The doom and gloom report is brought to you by Market <laughs> Mondays. Um, it's not good. No one wants our debt. Our word is worth nothing. Um, our geopolitical approach is intolerable. I was with uh, shout out to my guy Juan Hundred, and we were having a conversation about the elite. 
and we've had these conversations before, like those, let's say take a Mark Cuban was probably easier to book to get on this show and EYL than someone with the 90th of his net worth. Right. I think for too long, we've been the bully in the world. And as a result, when the tables turn, the bond market is still in shambles stock market. While it went up a lot last week, there's still a lot of risk out there. And also there is no asymmetric risk to reward ratio to the upside where it's even feasible to buy stocks 20 ranked 20 through 100 small cap market is destroyed. Um, overall, this won't be good. I know they're doing what they have to do, but once we are seeing these deficits of uh, 1.7 trillion, the housing market approaching 18, it's not good. And and I, part of all of this in combination is the reason why we only have seven or eight stocks that are doing incredibly well. But it's not good for, and I wish I had a more optimistic take or assessment to give you. But the glory days of, of America are done. <laughs> the, the two things that we have going for us is that military industrial complex that his uncle fought against that cost him his life and our stock market, which is a financial weapon. And both of those are getting weaker by the decade. I keep saying it. If you go back to 1988, which president would you let run your portfolio or any major company in the United States of America? I can name maybe two or three since 88. Who's the two or three? Uh, Bill and Barack. Bill Clinton? Okay. Bill and Barack. Reagan did great for the stock market. Um, but we've had bad leaders. And going off the gold standard, huge mistake. Hmm. We'll never be able to get that cat back in the bag. That cat is a saber-toothed tiger with 20,000 cousins that you can't defeat. Do you, let me, do, you, do you think RFK has any chance of winning the election? Absolutely not. Do you think he has any chance of winning the election? I don't. Because if you're not in that two-party system, even though he technically is a Democrat, um, I think there's a reason why he hasn't been led into the debates. I think some people don't want to have the conversation with him. Also, family lineage has a point. Plays a role. Plays a role. And then when you're attacking pharma. He's a Democrat, but, he, but he's also, I mean, he's an independent. independent. He, he, he leans Democrat, Democratic family, obviously. But it's interesting because he has a lot of extremely conservative views. Such as? Let's talk about him. Journalistically. Oh. Well, even the reparations argument, right? I would I would assume people lean more into a democratic, even if like like Bernie Sanders, even like a spin, a more liberal, a more yeah. liberal spin. He just completely just said, "No, I'm not doing that." But, but, uh, <laughs> honestly, of, of morally, I I agree with it, but they're not going to let us pass it. I don't like the way he said it either, but I can I can respect the thing, and I like Bernie a lot too. I think Bernie's opportunity was stolen from him. Because he should have been in that office. But I respect the fact that if you look at the number that we will be owed, if that is declared, the world will go bankrupt. Yeah. Sometimes we got to just take the truth. But well, the he, thing, I, I think that, yeah, you might not be able to get every single thing, but you can you can get something. You get something. Yeah, yeah, you could acknowledge like, that and get something. It's not like all or nothing, right? It's not all or nothing. It's not like a hundred trillion dollars or zero. There's some uh, middle ground. There's some middle ground. Let's be honest. They don't want to get. No, they don't what's, want. To. Okay, what's the chance that he gets in the office that we get reparations? 
No. It, it, well, President A, a president. What's the greater chance? A president, a president doesn't even have the the, the power to just, just wave a magic wand. But yeah. you know, it's just um, sometimes it's just like you just say things and try to just even influence people, right? And he just totally dismissed the message versus delivery. I get it. But you yeah. could have just said no or yes. Or, you know, it's interesting. I think that we need to have more studies done. He could have gave a political Something answer like that, yeah. and he just, you know, which I appreciate the honesty, which, you know, he's pretty much saying like, no. Like, one of the things he is trying to do is legalize marijuana from a federal standpoint so it could be taxed. I guess that's more of a, a liberal thing. Um, we didn't get into that, but. I think, I mean, but he, that that even goes back into. I think he doesn't. The, I think he has no chance of becoming president. But um, no, I'm just saying. But that issue goes back into <laughs> journalistic shot. He put it in population being incarcerated for nonviolent offenses. Yeah, yeah. But it's important. It's, it is important to talk to all the all the writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I mean, a lot of people don't have a chance of becoming president, but they still are running for president. He actually has a. Uh, he's polling. He's actually polling. That's an accomplishment. He's actually even to get to this point is almost impossible to get to a point where you can actually have any level of he's polling. Right. He's in there. Um, that's impossible. He's so in. he's, he's accomplished that. Obviously he's a Kennedy. So that helps out tremendously. Um, yeah. But oh, yeah, yeah, of course he doesn't have any chance of winning, but it still, it still leads for good conversation. <laughs> I just want to go back just for a clear understanding because the 776 billion is a lot, but sometimes when narratives are shaped, right, there's there's headlines that are saying, hey, it came in lower than the expectation, mm -hmm. which might be a good thing for the market. The other part of it is that for the next quarter, the first quarter of 2024, the number is going to be 816 billion. Yeah. So the fourth quarter of this year, which would have been the largest ask in for any fourth quarter in the history of America, and then we're going to lead into you know next year with going over 800 billion, and so. The bond market is in shambles. This is true. Yeah. I'm just going to give context to people to give them a, a better understanding. So I wrote, I wrote this down. So when when the Treasury issues fewer bonds um, than the climate is anticipating, that, that helps. But when more bonds are offered, then prices go down on bonds and yields go up. And we just talked about that, that relationship between yeah. yields and bonds. And so in terms of the stock market, Good because the yields have are going to come down, or on the latter, great because all right, we put more than more than be issued. Yields stay up. Um, I'm looking at it like this: TOT went from one seventy three to eighty six dollars. That's the level it was at in two thousand two and two thousand seven. Russell two thousand mid cap. Like I, this is the this is like Jeremy Lin. Shout to Jeremy Lin. Scoring 62 points a game. If I sat in this room in 2020 and told you, hey, Rashad, Metcap's going to go to hell. There's going to be seven companies out of 500 that are doing well. Hey, Troy, uh, international stocks are going to be down, and the bond market is going to fall to the lowest low since 2002. You'll say, what are you smoking with that director in that terrible chair? And here we are. I keep saying this. The stock market got so bad because the debt is so high that BlackRock and Vanguard had to go say, I'm going to be a landlord. No one finds that shocking. Like if I all of a sudden start doing, shout to Queen's Flip, if I start setting myself on fire on River Road, something in the trading didn't go right. That's a fact.
something is wrong and no one wants to say we have destroyed the economy and the country and we're hanging on by a thread and by stilts so bad even i was talking to one once again hey spotify adjusted how many plays you have to get to even get a payout now So at some point that it go to podcasting, that it go to YouTubing, that it go to now. But if I'm changing the metric in which I choose to pay, I'm not gonna say it's a Ponzi, but it's Ponzi ish. Ish. So you're getting zero point zero 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 point three three per stream, and if you only get fifteen percent or twenty percent, and the label gets eighty percent, you get a one point five advance. You got to have seven hundred million streams, and ain't that many people listening to artists in that genre? Ponzi, we have destroyed this country. I, I, I wish once again. I wish I had more optimistic advice, but in for journalistic integrity, we have just not we like as an us in our community, but the country has been destroyed. We can't find good political leadership. There's only maybe 10 stocks that I can find that I would put my life on and they want to act like everything is okay. But one thing about this, the political leadership is important because um, I feel like old white men, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Be honest with you. This, if, if you look at it right outside of Obama and it's, Congress and his Senate and his the presidents and the majority and even if you know they just don't understand mm-hmm. what's happening on the ground and if you don't have some diversity pretty soon this whole political structure is in is in danger the revolution um because it's such a it's such a d- divide and a misunderstanding and you can't even educate somebody you can't educate an eighty year old white man on what's going on on they, they just don't understand it and um never will so the democrats are going to have a tremendous problem um come next year and i think that that part of that is because there's a cultural divide and the messaging is not understanding like i have a pulse of what's going on for at least our culture when it comes yeah. to millennials and it just doesn't seem like the people at at the top either either know or care or and it's like you're just trying to keep bullying and forcing your way of thinking your ideology onto people that don't believe it they don't they don't believe it they're not getting information from they're not getting information from the sources that you traditionally have relied on and you have traditionally have told us that we should get our sources from um that is not those credible news sources are not credible anymore um and that's obvious day in day we're getting more and more you know propaganda and we're, we're seeing the propaganda in this firsthand and um just keep repeating the same things over and over again and um it just feels like there's like a, a tremendous disconnect and lack of understanding from people at the top of what's going on and they don't seem to actually be receptive to new ideas they don't seem to be receptive to what's actually happening on the ground who was who the they you're talking about the the 80 year old white male politician because I, I mean long term did that I, I agree with you long term it doesn't make sense just be, from the standpoints of every point that you're bringing up but next year that's what we're facing right okay. we're, t- we're facing potentially two 
80 year old men no. that will be leading well, one of them both. is going but what i'm saying is that right. it what i'm saying is that the disconnect and divide in the country is just going to keep getting wider this is wider. true yes that's yes. what i'm saying yeah so whether trump gets elected or biden gets elected there's yeah. still a tremendous disconnect yeah, yeah. and so, they both fit the demographic you're speaking about every person in power in in the world fits the demographic that i'm speaking about think about it every every high up in business in politics and any anything the person that runs the olympics every every powerful position in the world is controlled by an old white man yeah that's problematic that's problematic you know and how this, bad that, go ahead this is a global issue this is a global issue when diverse representation is not just like a catchy thing for corporate america this is a system systemic problem globally where we go to davos these are the, the most elite people in the world those are white people sprinkled with a few different people but for the majority is white people when you look yeah. at the the eu when you look at um all of the powerful nations when they get together like all of these decisions that's being made about the world decisions are being made about africa from white people yep. think about it a continent with two billion people of black people a small group of white people are making decisions about them so yeah. this this is a this is a this is a very very big issue and like i said they can't even under fully understand it because you can't you can't fully identify with somebody other than yourself at a certain point so you yeah. you all you you think similar and you have a similar type of mind frame and there's no checks and balances so that leads to just thinking okay this is what we're going to do this is the only way and this is why the world is always centered in a european type of model but that can only last for so long you know how bad things have to be for ray dalio to write 900 pages about an empire falling apart and warren buffett says i agree where normally they keep their business inside of their homes and their meetings he like he wrote a classic and then came back right after with life after death telling you how it's going to fall and everything that he's talked about in those two books they're playing out in real time i keep saying it the federal reserve chairman who prints our money looks nervous every time he's on tv if omar from the wire come running down the block and then deontay come from newark and he's scared of deontay i'm like oh deontay an issue when the federal reserve chair is scared things are bad i haven't heard bernanke since he retired say a thing you know why he's glad he's not an fc you think Jamie Dimon took them shares and that finally became public? Go look at since 2019 and 2020, how many people have exited, including Bezos, one of the greatest American titans of all time. Look at his timing. We forget Jeff traded, derivatives trader. You don't think he knows timing and he didn't know what to pivot from books to mass scale items and know when to exit? And now for tax reasons, all of a sudden he's going to Miami. Exit to Miami. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. The Changing World Order. That's the book you're speaking of. Absolutely. One of, I think one of the greatest books ever written. But Why nations seed and fail. 
but for a billionaire hedge fund manager to write that to tell politicians to clean up your act do you know how bad it has to be that's like the culture vultures where if they finally start saying hey i need the rappers stop killing each other because if so the media game will be over it's the equivalent of that and or whatever and we cannot have hypocrisy france one the great colonizer one of the worst countries in the world when it's come to uh, global atrocities cannot cannot be a voice of mor moral authority. The UK cannot be a voice of moral authority. America cannot be a voice of moral authority. Like nobody's in a position to be a, a moral authority. This goes back to a superiority complex. This goes back to elite group of people that's running the situation. Everybody has to worry about their own domestic issues. Nobody's in a position to be uh, it, you can't be in a position of moral authority if you have tremendously bad human rights records on on your record, which all of these major com all of these major com um, countries, countries have human rights violations yep. throughout the wazoo. Every single one of them: China, Russia, America, France, the UK. Not one country is exempt. So nobody's perfect, but just be mindful when getting lectures about human rights violations from human rights violators. violators. <laughs> like that's the other violator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oppressors. While BRICS and all these countries are getting closer and closer. Okay, everyone can keep saying it's not a threat. It's not a threat until it is. Yeah. Like as an advisor, like right. Rashad, if you were taking on a client just to say 52, you couldn't even morally say, get a 60-40 portfolio with bonds in it right now. Because you don't know how much lower it's going to go. I never thought I would see the bond market die 50% like it's a tech stock. Never in history. Like Will Smith in 1990 or Gerard Butler. Somebody, this is like White House down level of skill. For those of you who don't know, bonds are supposed to be safety. The safety instrument is not supposed to drop 50%. And then we got 490 stocks that are uh, at best and the greatest nation of all time. What can we learn from this Joe Smith debacle? Man, uh, who, who, who you pick? And the person that you choose to be with is the biggest uh, decision that you would make of your life. So you should be careful um, when you're talking about your number one pick. For everyone, but especially for men, the person that you choose to be with, build with, have kids with, is going to have the greatest impact on your life. Also, too, my, same thing you said earlier. My dad always say, hey, make sure you have an umbrella for when it starts raining. You have to be a good steward of that money. Because now if you put yourself in a position where you can't pay the bills and she got to find a way to pay the bills, the respect is over with. When your woman gets to recording you when you're embarrassed, oh boy, it's over with anyway. Shout out to Killer. Killer got right to it. You want to be a body? Killer Cam? Yeah, Cam acts on the show. Hey, you going to come rub me down? Yeah, he did. Is you a body rub girl? And she, oh yeah, I love to. Yeah, oh, did. she responded? Yeah. Oh, she trolling at this point. Then. That's, That's what I said. Was it real? I don't know. Was it real? When I initially saw it, I it was looked like, like it was real. Oh, you recording me? <laughs> it's, that seemed a little stupid. It, it, even I mean, if it's part of a rollout, how low does your bag have to be to let your woman? That's an also a problem. Uh, but there was a key word that she said. 
that we he should take heed to and everybody should take heed to. Mm-hmm. You knew who I was when you met when me. you got here. Don't say who you was when you got here. Yo, you know what I mean? Like you knew who I was. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be surprised. It's important, man. Pick the right one, pick the kitties up. You choose. You can't turn Horchata into a housewife. Tough. You can try. Pray for that, man. And pray for her, too. It's unfortunate. You never want to see that. We need to unite and show strong black unity inside the family household. Thank also, you. fellas, that this is also why we wake up every day. Shout to Russell and get to that bag. We got to work. Grandmother always told me you can be as cute as you think you are, but if that money ain't doing what it's supposed to do. And I'm going to tell you, the breakups go easy if that bag right, too. The free, the free black press, extremely, extremely important. Very few free, free black press voices uh, no. yeah. out there because everybody's owned by somebody. But mm-hmm. nobody, nobody owns us. Big facts, and that's important. Freedom is key. Yes, freedom or death. Freedom oh, or death. That's a great quote. It's a yes. great quote. Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been insightful. It has been insightful. <laughs> Appreciate all your comments. <laughs> what what you get to take away from the day, Rochelle? You're doing great. Uh, Appreciate this all the post conversation that we about to have, boy. <laughs> After hours. <laughs> I, I didn't even see that fumble coming like that. What the what? This fumble. Oh, Joe. Which one? It's the tomorrow when we just yeah we sat down with that we sat down with you, you you came right in on a hey wow hey hey yo hey yo be careful <laughs> ah we will be in houston texas this weekend that for the honey fact. honeyland festival yes damn we ain't gonna be able to link up i'm in toronto for the m&m Oh, shout out, shout out to the M to M. That is Toronto, Canada, this Saturday, right? Uh, Yeah. Get your tickets. Get your tickets. It is Saturday. It is Saturday. Get your tickets this Saturday. Ian Dunlap. What's the who's who's on the lineup? Me, Mike. Mike was is on the lineup. Shout out, Mikey. He said, "I'm I'm ready to show my presentation." M to M to M. Our brothers. Yes. Um, Daniel Twee. They will be on the bill. Sherrod. Sherrod will be on the bill. I'm assuming Priscilla will be up there as well. They got some more people speaking. uh, Some people that are experts in the city of Toronto and the world of real estate. Toronto. Show your love. Show your love, man. That's the fam. Yeah. So we will be in Honeyland Festival. Um, It's going to be fire. Yeah. Okay. Land of milk and honey. Yes. See? Who, who do you think will be? We'll, we'll update this throughout the course of the year. But uh, who's your who's your pick right now? Who do you think is going to win the election? A, we're a year, we're exactly to the date, a year away, three hundred sixty-five days away. Um, Biden's going to win again. Biden's going to win. Yeah. Okay. Would you like to provide any commentary on your thought process behind that? Um. Sure. 
Um, <laughs> I think RFK, of course, they're going to continue to run the smear campaign. I don't know if he did a massive job today of stating this case on why he should be president. I think there's going to be a lot more political pressure on place on Trump. I think they're going to try to speed up some of those prosecutorial hearings to keep him out of office. And um, we don't often like to change your leaderships in time of crisis. Financial crisis is different, but I don't see a standout candidate on the Republican side. Let's say we have a mirroring of 2008 and we go in a full out recession in 2024. I don't see anyone who is capable to step in and provide a financial plan to be able to help the nation recover. This is the reason they keep delaying this R word recession from being talked about. I think the recession is probably going to happen happen right after the election. Because now I'm already in. What you going to do? It's too late. Second yeah. term, I really get the wild out. They're going to do everything in their power to make sure that the recession does not fall on his lap. Because if it hits March, which has highest probability of being so, if he makes it through March, he's going to be clear. Now, if we hit recession in February, March, or August, it's over with. But they're not going to allow that to happen. That's how Bush's George W. Bush legacy got erased by having that collapse on his record, which made room for Barack. Do I think there are other candidates who are better, who probably could serve the country better? You probably can name 15 people. But the biggest threat to his election in 2024 is a recession, and they're going to make sure to keep that on the back burner until after the election so he can secure a spot. Those are just my thoughts. Okay, good commentary. Who do Appreciate you that. Uh, I'm going to take the Mace approach, and I'm going to leave my ex expert opinion for a later date. Got <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, back to me and you. They want us to beat. What's up? What's your take? What's your take? <laughs> although, although, I mean, you can take these polls with a grain of salt. Um, I was looking at the Gallup poll. They were saying that 60% of Americans are not in favor of another Trump presidency. Uh, we'll see what these indictments lead to over the next 12 months. Um, if these, if he's actually found guilty and, and is put, we'll see. I mean, there's no rules against him not winning inside of, of the penitentiary. So yeah. that would be, I <laughs> would be pretty, pretty wild. Calling shots from the big house. <laughs> it's pretty wild to think about, but there's, there's I mean, like there's no precedent. Um, but, you know, I think that for the highest point, in his presidency uh, for Biden, I think like 42% of Americans aren't happy with the job he's done and the things that he has done a great job. Campaign promises that he hasn't fulfilled on yet. So right. it's going to be interesting, man. But the, the real thing is like outside of these two, and I know that's when you said, when you're talking about they, like who is the next person inside of these political parties? That's another conversation for another time, but I'm interested. Who's the next person, right? Like, the Mr. Beast? They, they, I, I can tell you the big finesse coming next decade. Great. Okay. Let me put up these water wells in Africa. And I saw that. I saw that. 100 water wells. going to be well, in right? the Bronx soon, doing a little sturdy and doing a gritty. Give <laughs> it some time. He lining up. Okay. Oh, I'll see the Mr. Beast play. Ooh, Just from a popularity Gavin standpoint. Gavin Newsom is the, is the next person that's going to run for president from the Democratic Party. They've already, they're already um, grooming him for that. Hey, they had him in China. He's in China now. No, he's already going through the whole process. Yeah. And then... Uh, for the Republicans, who knows? They don't have anybody. That's why Trump is um. Yeah, that's right. There is no. What's the other viable option? Nikki Haley, maybe they're trying to groom her, but she doesn't. This is her second time doing it. 
Yeah. Running for president? It's not going to happen. Decent VP, but I don't think she can do it. Yeah. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, as far as my prediction, if you're interested. Let me let me ask you. Um, can I ask you? Yes. Cue it up. From your journalistic expertise, 365 days away, who's going to be the next president? Um, I don't see a pathway for Donald Trump to lose. Mm. Really don't. I don't see a pathway for him to lose. Okay. Versus Rashad. My clip is <laughs> Come on, tell me more. I tell think more. I think that once again, I think that um unless something major happens, um, I think that Joe Biden's um the Democrats base is eroding when it comes to black and Latino Latin X voters. Oh yeah. Okay. Um I think it's eroding against um millennials and these are important demographics for for the democrats for sure and um i see states like you know all the swing states trump is winning right now but i, I just see voter enthusiasm will be down i think which will um less people will vote which will be beneficial for trump yeah i think that there will be voter outrage and they will vote for third party candidates just out of spite that will be beneficial for trump I think that Trump will be able to rally his his base and they will be extremely enthusiastic about taking back the country, um, which will help him because I think his numbers will be up. He got the second most votes in American history last time. Um, so well, that's been some more people voted for him. I'm saying Joe Biden had the most in history because because more, more people voted. They voted, but I don't think that his everybody's going to vote. Less people will vote. I think less people will vote for him this time for Biden. Yes. Okay. So I don't know. I just see. I just see. You know, anything, well, anything is possible. And like I said, there's a lot to happen. A year. A year is a lifetime yeah. in politics. You know, he could come out, but he hasn't done anything to excite the black black vote at all. He um, the student loan thing. That's not that's not exciting the black vote. Um, even though he tried, but it didn't help. So it's not even his fault necessarily, but it doesn't matter. Um, this His handling of the Israel-Palestine thing, a lot of people are, are unenthusiastic about how, he, how he's handling that. Um, his cognizant skills, as far as um, being able to think on his feet, is concerning to a lot of people. They think that he's not, uh, he doesn't have the mental capacity now, let alone another four years. I just don't see. I don't see how he, he gets reelected. I really don't. What's What's the event that could derail the Trump machine? Something major that happened. If he's coming out, if he's able to to do, you know, student loan forgiveness for everybody, or he's able, you know, something something that's really like everybody can rally behind, and it's like, okay, this is this is it. But, Get them aliens to come out the sky with a little hologram they got. <laughs> but like like Ian said, also people tend to elect presidents during wartime. So yep. I mean, we're not in a war, but you know, if if something happens and we have to start deploying troops and it's like state of emergency, something like that, that usually tends to benefit yeah. presidents that are already in place. Um, but it's gonna be difficult. I feel like all Trump has to do is just just play cool, which is difficult for him, obviously. Yeah. But um. The Biden thing is is kind of you know imploding on its own, so it's not even a lot of work that's that's needed to um, derail the situation. But who knows? We'll see. Um, the Democrats, you know, I wouldn't count them out. They have a lot of money that they'll that they'll be raising, and um, you know they'll 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 put up a fight for sure. They're not going out. 
They're not going out on their sword. They're gonna put up a fight. Um, so we'll see. But we'll 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 be monitoring this situation. And, and my views might change, but as of it as of stands right now, Trump. I will say to uh, all the presidents that are running in Congress, at some point you're going to have to find a way to make American citizens money. And at some point you guys should partner with us so we can help all of America a lot more money. Boy, because if I was another Hugh, we'll have a monopoly. Senators, Congress. Hope, hope. The Democrats' only hope is Michelle Obama. If she ran for president, she would. Auntie Shell come out. It's over with. Landslide. Landslide victory for Michelle Obama. Yep. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been real. Um, yes. Catch us in Houston this weekend. Catch mm-hmm. Ian in Toronto this weekend. Yes. We'll be at a few undisclosed locations this week as well, but mm-hmm. oh, that man. is private. <laughs> um, during the week? During the week. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Private. We have not disclosed that and probably will never disclose. Probably that. can't and won't. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'll go man, off Tuesday if I need to bust a U turn right back. Hey, dope episode of Earn Your Leisure this week. Denise, the broker, Abu Shut Dhabi, up. Dubai, real estate. How to invest in, in real estate for people in america interested in in looking at dubai which is probably the hottest place in the world right now for tourism um and you can get a great investment return on your investment and then um jeezy shout out to jeezy tonight fire fire all right yeah y'all be good to each other love is love peace love y'all peace take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.